Well, I want to introduce my family to you. Uh, this is my husband, Nathan, here. Um, we are going to be celebrating 26 years of marriage next month. Um, we got married when we were 12, um, so just kidding, we didn't. Um, but this is our firstborn here, Noah Luke, and I'm so proud of this guy. And he's actually my favorite acoustic guitar player that we've ever taken on the road with us. And I'm not just saying that. I really do mean it. We're not like throwing him a bone, like letting him come with us to play. He's actually an incredible musician and an incredible human, and we love you so much. And then these are our girls down here, Eliana, Noel. Can you wave your hand, please? And Annie Rose. So Ellie is graduating from high school this next, well, this month. Oh my gosh, like in two weeks. Yay. Congrats. And then Annie Rose is our youngest. She's 13, and she's actually beginning her high school years this next year. So we have loved getting to be out here. You guys have the best church, the best pastors. Oh, my goodness. They have hosted us incredibly. Um, You'll see a little bit later um, our adventure yesterday, which was amazing. Um, But, yeah, I wanted to just take a minute just to say to all you mamas, for real, happy Mother's Day to you. And I know that much of your life, the work that you do, is hidden and but God sees the unseen and he will reward you I promise and also your kids see it and um I think about my own mama today um she was just such a precious navigator I think of a picture um with her she's a precious woman of God and all the little things that she did mattered in fact like most of my life when I was a kid I took her word for it before I knew how to take God at his word and Um, she is on a journey right now. She is, um, just diagnosed with ovarian cancer this past August. And honestly, like we almost lost her in March only like a few months ago. And God has been so faithful. She has turned a corner and today she's at church with my dad. My dad's a pastor. And so just praising God that, (laughs) um, for those of you who've walked through cancer, like, you know, the um, terrifying roller coaster that it is. So at least today we're just praising him that she is stable and she's probably playing piano at this, at this moment at church at home. And so, um, but I was actually saved through one of her little, things that she did as a mom, which was she hung these little wall plaques in our house. I don't know if you were, you know, if you were born in the uh, late seventies or eighties, if you had these like wall plaques that had like the name, your name, and then like the meaning of your name and then a scripture underneath it. And so my mom hung those with purpose in the hallway of our home. And every day on my way to my childhood room, I would pass that, that plaque and mine said, Christy, and my name means follower of Christ. What a declaration, you know, and it was like, I didn't know what that meant, but I was just like, okay, that's who I am. And then the verse that was with it was Psalm in the King James. I memorized it because I was like, I kind of let that plaque name me. It was like, okay, this is my verse. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Well, I literally memorized it, wrote it on everything because it was like, you know, my mom did this with intentionality and she, she named me almost with this little plaque and the things that she did. And so one night during church while my dad was preaching, it was a sunny night and I wrote that out. I still have the little piece of paper. I wrote it in my best seven-year-old handwriting, commit thy way to the Lord, trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. And she had the wisdom in that moment to turn that little piece of paper over. These are the little things. And she wrote me back and she said, yes, if Christy gives her life to Jesus and trusts in him, he will show her the way to live. And that is what the Holy Spirit used that night for me to know that 
I needed to trust Jesus. I needed to follow him. And I remember going down that big, scary aisle in front of all the people. It was a crowd about this size, maybe probably smaller. And I took my earthly father's hand, but I embraced my heavenly father's heart that night for me, who is Jesus. And so all you mamas, um, your work, I know it seems it's never done because it's actually not. Um, but it's seen by a God who made you and loves you. And I promise that the little things that you do, even when you think that your kids don't understand, um, it's imparting the word of God in their heart and it's pointing to him. So I just want to encourage you with that. And I'm just going to share a little bit um, from the, the book that Pastor Brian was talking about. But um, my goodness, you know, it really did come out at an interesting time, <laughs> this book being released in this season that we're all in as a world and we're living in interesting times, right? Um, it's, it's peculiar. Um, but I believe that we can see it as an infliction or we can see it as an invitation. And I don't know about you, but I, you know, you might could look back on seasons of suffering in your life. Nathan and I experienced two miscarriages before we were able to have our firstborn and we know what seasons of hardship look like. And yet when I look back on it, I can trace the hand of God and I can almost, you know, sense and remember that nearness because it says that he's near to the brokenhearted. And so seasons like this um, actually are an invitation. I think this is a worldwide invitation for us to return to the heart of God, to go back to our first love. And so... What's the hope of the invitation? Um, I think for me, I don't know about you, but lately I've just been like, I just want to endure faithfully. What's it going to look like as the people of God for us to endure faithfully? I want to be about longevity. I want to, in you know, my older years to be able to still be standing firm in what I'm standing firm in right now. That's what I think it looks like to endure faithfully. And I know you want that, but it feels like it's getting harder and harder, isn't it? In these days to do that. And so I think the hope of the invitation is, is that longevity. It is that drawing near to the heart of God and enduring. But I believe in order to do that, we've got to learn to lead ourselves well back to the heart of God every day. I know we're supposed to be spirit led, Holy Spirit led, but I think being Holy Spirit led is learning to submit our will to his and lead ourselves well back to our source of life. Even if you just have 10 minutes in the morning, I love to call my quiet time remembrance or like my time to just go get my head on straight in the morning before I do anything else. Going back to that place and almost like reconsecrating my heart, like setting apart my heart again to say, God, I don't belong to myself. I belong to you. And so I come back to you, to your heart today, and I want to live from you, not just for you, but from you. I think about the psalmist David. He did this so well out loud in the Psalms. We have literally 150 poems and songs that he poured out his heart to God. It's, it's every emotion. Um, so there's something in there for all of us. It's every high, it's every low. Uh, think about Psalm 43, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He was leading himself well. He's literally preaching to his soul. He's like, hope in God, soul. Do that today. Do that again this morning. Hope in God today. 
Psalm 103.1, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. We gotta preach to our own soul in the morning and carry it with us throughout the day. I love I'm one of my favorite books. If you've never read it, it's, it's definitely worth it in your lifetime to read The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. It's one of my favorites, and he spends an entire chapter on what it looks like to simply look to God. What does that look like? What does it mean? And he basically gives several biblical references around the fact that looking on God, a lot of in the Old Testament, you know, look upon the, the serpent that was, was before the people, looking on God was the same as believing upon him, that all we had to do was look upon him and believe and that those two things are the same thing, which is just pretty powerful. But he concludes in the book, he says that faith is to look with our soul upon a saving God. And he goes on to say, now, if faith is the gaze of the heart at God, and if this gaze is but the raising of the inward eyes to meet the all-seeing eyes of God, then it follows that it is one of the easiest things possible to do. It would be like God to make the most vital thing easy and place it within the range of possibility for the weakest and poorest among us. I love that. The principles and the truth of God, it has to work in every economy. It has to work for people who are struggling to do the basics today. It has to work for the mom who's traveling miles to get clean water for her kids. It's not just for the American dream people. It's for every tribe and tongue and nation that we're going to stand next to around the throne of God. And it has to work for every season, every economy. And that beautiful that he would make the most vital thing easy for the weakest, the poorest, for any. And sometimes I'm the weakest and the poorest among us, right? We all are there. So yeah, this book, The Life You Long For, Learning to Live From a Heart of Rest, it took me 15 years to write this book. And I really do think now that... Um, it's released. It's because God wanted me to live it for 15 years before I had any business sharing about it with anyone else. But really the writing of the book part just felt like me almost crying through the whole thing because I was recalling God's faithfulness through every season of learning what this looks like to live from him, not just for him. And it changed my life. Um, to just sit, and I don't know if you've done that lately, just journaling almost, like looking back on your story and like seeing the thread of God's faithfulness. It was a beautiful thing. So I feel like so much of the book is just that. But really, um, it's a significant part of my story, how I begin the book and that changed my life forever. Um, just to give you a picture kind of of where I, I was, um, Nathan and I were um, at the time called Watermark. We were uh, traveling touring the country. Uh, we had two kids in tow at the time. It was just Noah and Ellie. Uh, Ellie was just a baby. And um, I was in a pace. Um, you all know the pace of life that we can get in. I was like in that season of just sort of yesing myself into exhaustion because it was like, all I knew to do was just to keep going. I knew to just, you know, I needed to steward my, my gifts well, which that is a thing. We all should steward well the gifts that God has given us. Um, and I knew that I wanted to make God known in the world. And those are all good things, but it didn't take long before stewardship became more like a burden. And using my gifts became like a hustle, basically, that ultimately started to hold me back from the life I was really longing for. So I was doing all this stuff for God, but yet I felt miles and miles away from Him. 
And so this was a season in my life, I call it my farm table epiphany, where um, God really came, he showed up. And I think what I like to say is that he valued himself on my behalf when I had forgotten to value him above all things. And he, he met me there. And I think part of um, that pace, and we can all relate to, I think is because of the ache that we can all relate to. Romans 8, 22, 23, it, it, it says what the ache is, that we, it's, the, it's, the thing that, it's one of the things that unifies us today. We all have the same ache. It says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So ultimately, the ache in us is that we long to belong. We know we belong to God, but we long and we try to fix this ache with other things. We have an enemy of our soul. John 10, 10 calls him the thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. But the enemy knows that all he has to do is keep us hustling to fix this ache with everything but God. And he actually doesn't have to get more creative than that. We, We long to fix this ache and often we shove other things in that ache besides God. So I think we have to be on the lookout for him because God is relentless in coming after places in our hearts that we've, we've either given up on or we don't even know need rescue. We've got to be aware. We have to have eyes ready to see God meeting us. And for me, um, part of that farm table epiphany that I told you about earlier just in the book is that um, the Lord met me in one of, during one of the most mundane tasks ever one morning. This was, yeah, again, like when Noah was just a baby or just he was young, preschooler, I was cleaning a toilet upstairs of all things. And I sensed God there and he was speaking to me as I was cleaning this toilet and it was very alarming. (laughs) But I love it. Someone recently told me that in scripture, all throughout scripture, we can see that men often went out to meet with God, but that God often met women right where they are in the home or whatever they were doing. And I love that. So this is what God did that morning. Cleaning a toilet, he shows up. He starts talking to me about making some serious choices about what it would look like to break away from the pace that I was in. And I did that thing where I went down to my uh, farm table. We still have the table uh, to this day, but I went down there and I like let my Bible fall open to wherever it would because I was just like, Lord, I sense that you're here and I know you want to speak to me. (laughs) I just let it fall open and it fell open to Psalm 37. I kid you not, which is the verse I was telling you earlier, the whole passage, how I was saved as a kid. So I really believe that God was bringing me back to my gospel story to show me that it wasn't just this thing that I did a long time ago, but he was saying, Christy, you can live from the gospel every single day of your life. Gospel living is about surrendering our all. It's a dying to ourself that ultimately gives our life back in a way that we could never do on our own. It's a reckoning with who we really are and whose we really are that brings a deep soul satisfying rest. It has us daily, sometimes hourly remembering that we are the beloved of God and that there's a created order that God made for the beloved of God to live in.
And this order brings rest. This is a spiritual rest. It's like a posture of the heart. We do need a Sabbath rest every week physically that brings a spiritual rest. But we, this is a gospel living is really a deep soul rest that changes us. And think about it. If there's a hustle, if the enemy provides this hustle that ultimately holds us back, wouldn't it be like God to create a rest that propels us? that has us contending for people and for kingdom things like never before. I love that. So yeah, the Lord through Psalm 37 that morning, these were very familiar verses to me. This one, the first one, verse four, it's like printed on coffee cups and tea towels everywhere. Delight yourself in the Lord. You know this one and he will give you the desires of your heart. And right then, as I read that, I'd read that my whole life, but I kind of read it as like, if I do this for God, he'll do this for me. It was sort of just this um, transactional thing, but the Lord came in that day and was showing me how to live a transformational way with him, a relationship with him. And he was like, Christy, what if you just enjoyed me? I'll unfold your life. I'll unfold the things in your heart, what I've put in you, but what if you just learned how to enjoy me? I read on to that verse that changed it all so many years ago. Commit thy way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. I'd never really read on though. It says, he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn and the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. And right then the Lord brought back this visual to me that I, that I unfold in the book that meant something to me in that season and, and in the weeks and months before it had been on my mind And he brought it back to my mind's eye as I was in his word that morning. And it's a picture of basically a target sign, a bullseye and concentric circles. And he spoke in in that moment and he said, Christy, what would it look like if you just hit the bullseye? Just hit the bullseye with me as, as my beloved. Come home to my heart every morning. Consecrate your heart to me again and again. And I'll take care of all the outer rings of your life. And I'll show you my glory. I'll show up in ways that you won't have to if you'll live in this place of just being my beloved. So it was this beautiful call to me to come home. I actually physically um, made that decision that morning to come off of the road and it ended up being for four years of my life. And that was to help take care of, just reorient my life really and um, reorder it to um, take care of my family, my children, my home and to learn to invite the glorious things of God into the mundane, into those unseen moments, far from the platform, far from all the things public and coming home and just learning what that would look like to live in this bullseye and watch God unfold my life from that place. So I think about on this Mother's Day, um, You know, the best mom that we can be is to be loved. The best humans that we can be is to allow ourselves to live from a place of belonging as the beloved of God. And the greatest gift that we can give our children is to live like we are loved. And this looks like believing the promises and truths, not just for our kids, which is hard, but for ourselves, right? receiving it, believing it, that he calls us beloved. I love this. The name beloved means those who are personally experiencing the agape love of God. So it's not a transactional relationship. It's transformational. He's like, I want you to personally experience my unconditional love 
Isn't that beautiful? More than anything that God is asking us to do for him, he's enthralled with who we are becoming. We're not human doings. We're human beings. And he caused us, he created us to learn to be his beloved. Um, And I think another thing to believe and receive this morning in order to live like we're loved is to remember that his love is otherly. His love is not equal to our own. His love is different. It's holy. It's set apart. I think about um, Jeremiah 31, three, that God told his beloved people, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with an unfailing kindness. Especially us parents. I mean, we can't use those words, right? Everlasting and unfailing. Those are set apart for God. His love is otherly. But I don't know about you, but I, I definitely find myself sort of projecting human attributes, my own human attributes onto God, uh, my own bad parenting skills <laughs> onto God, my short fuse or my impatience. I project it onto him. And I think that that is the way that he responds to me. But no, his love is everlasting. It's unfailing. Isaiah forty twenty eight says, have you not known Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Some of you just needed to hear that today, that he does not grow faint and he does not grow weary. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That word renew there in the original language, they shall renew their strength. It literally means pass through or exchange. Basically, when we wait on the Lord, when we look to him, we exchange our shelf life strength for his unfailing everlasting strength. His strength passes through ours and becomes our own. Isn't that beautiful? Hey, that wait upon the Lord. Our strength gets exchanged. (laughs) So amazing. And I've come to find that, you know, the ultimate form of exhaustion and burnout, speaking of being able to endure faithfully, the ultimate form of burnout I've come to understand is unbelief. So we can actually get to the place where we project our humanness so much onto God that we just are like, I'm checked out, you're probably checked out. And so you think all the more reason that we need to remember how to lead ourselves well back to his heart every day of our lives, to understand that he doesn't grow faint, he doesn't grow weary, and it's believing and receiving his love over us and living from him that we're able to show his love to the world in a way that's freeing, in a way that's exhaustion free. I remember uh, when the kids were little, um, one of my favorite things that's ever happened just through the years is that um, I was just in the kitchen one morning and Noah was a toddler, Eliana was in her high chair. And I just walked over and spontaneously hugged Nathan in the kitchen and just kind of had this moment where we just sort of held on to each other. Noah looked over and saw that we were hugging and he, you you might've experienced this before. He ran over and got in on it. He wrapped his arms around both of our legs and we were just all three standing there in this family hug. And I was like, I mean, you know, 
you, you moms know in those moments, you're just like, oh my goodness, don't move, don't breathe. Nobody do anything. <laughs> and we looked over at Eliana and she was in her high chair and she was just like grinning. It was like she knew the family hug was like a special thing. And then when she could walk, she would run. We, we would reenact it. We never talked about it. Just every once in a while. Authentically, I would just go over and just hug Nathan. Not to see if they would hug. It was just, I kind of forgot. And then the next time it was like, she could run and she came running. So then the four of us are in the family hug and I'm like, oh, wow. And then there were, there were three children and Annie Rose would run and get in on the hug. She actually still does. She comes and gets in on the hug and our two dogs. Um, but all, one morning we were all five when they were younger the five of us were just in that family hug and I was in a season where I was weary and as a worship leader at that time we were a part of a church plant and I was leading every Sunday and I was in that exhaustion. I was in that outer ring of my life running ragged. And the Lord just spoke to me in that moment and he was like, just embrace me. Just embrace the Father and others will be compelled to run and do the same. So it's this restful, effortless way that I could let the love of God spill over onto the people of my life by just running to the Father first, enjoying the Father, sitting with Him, being in the unseen with Him, and then letting that spill out over onto the lives of those who He's brought around me. We want to sing this song over you this morning, and I would love, um, it's just called Be Loved. It's just an invitation, even for you to just respond right now with your heart, to say, God, I want to live like your beloved again, to know what it is to receive your love, to run to you first, and that I don't have to strive, I don't have to hustle to prove myself to you or anyone but we get to just run to you, Lord. We thank you for that and receive your love, Lord. Get in on your embrace and let us be free in that so that others will be compelled to run and embrace you too. Joyous, that is, arms are open. 
Well, it was a beautiful thing just over the last 15 years how the Lord has just unfolded sort of that bullseye and concentric circles. I, I like to call it like a life shape, <laughs> something that I can go back to every day. And sometimes I have to do it hourly, going back to the bullseye, looking to God, receiving from Him what I need, remembering that I belong to Him. And I love it. You know, the bullseye obviously is us living from this place of belovedness. It's that looking to him every day, even if you only have 10 minutes, it's just reorienting your heart. It's consecrating your heart to God every day. And then that next outer ring, I love it. He showed me that's not immediately our capacity. It's not immediately what we run to start doing. He showed me that right outside of the bullseye, we emerge into the community of the beloved. That's our kids. That's our family. That's our extended family. That is our church. That's all of you. And so we emerge from the bullseye and it's people before productivity. Isn't that beautiful? It's community before capacity. So we're, we're living out from God's love into the community, into our family, into the people that he's called, I believe, into the general vicinity of you because of how he wants you to love on them. And so you think about how freeing it is, again, for you to just embrace the father, right? so that others would be compelled, those around you would be compelled to love him too. And then that outermost ring, I call it the capacity of the beloved. But what I love is that as I was writing this book, actually, um, I was thinking about the different definitions of capacity. I think um, because of our nature, we immediately think about capacity and the definition um, and what we need to deliver, what we need to crank out capacity and just like, I've got to get all this done today. <laughs> we feel like a machine, right? But I love it that the Lord showed me, he's like the true capacity of the beloved is really that another definition of 
capacity, which is what we can hold and contain and receive. Isn't that beautiful? So it's this whole new way to look at the capacity, that outermost ring of our lives. And when we live from the bullseye, I like to say, we live from the inside out. We live into the reclaimed outer rings of our lives. Whereas when we live outside in, you can imagine, I like to say that we push from barrenness into the community of the beloved and even into our relationship with God. We pursue God from barrenness rather than pursuing him as a son and a daughter. So it's this living inside out that reclaims the outer rings of our lives with purpose and intentionality. I love it even. It's just this perfect example. Um, Ephesians 3, where, where Paul just basically talks about he's praying for spiritual strength over the believers. And he says, for this reason, I bow before the Father on my knees from, every, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So this is us in the bullseye. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in the bullseye of his love may then have the strength to comprehend with all the saints, with the community of the beloved, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be in the capacity of the beloved filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him, this is where his glory shows up. He shows up in the outer rings. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? So even when you think of the bullseye, you can think of Ephesians 3. Rooted and grounded in love, we grasp together, that's us, the love of God. And then he does through us abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. Isn't that beautiful? That's the capacity. That's the reclaimed uh, lives of the beloved when we live from this place of belovedness. Well, we wanted to share another song before we close. And um, Nathan and I wrote a lullaby album a couple years ago. And um, go figure, we wrote it when the kids were tweens and teens. Um, That was mainly just because when they were little bitty, I couldn't have pulled it off. But what I love is this, that these songs really were seedlings that happened in the rocking chair a long time ago during the four years where I really concentrated on just being home, being in that hidden place. And I learned to really see others. And that started with my kids. Um, you know, one of the things that really surprised me and changed my life was when I began to live from the the bullseye of God's belovedness. It was like I saw people for the first time. When my heart began to be filled and, and that ache began to be quenched with, with God's love, I started seeing people. It was like, oh, God's brought these people around me, these women that I needed to help raise up, worship leader women who I could invite to my house. I could invite them around the farm table. A lot of times it was, I made Jiffy pancakes. I don't know if you've ever made Jiffy corn pancakes. They're like 88 cents a box. And I would just have these young girls in my home and just help just encourage them. But really it started with my kids and it started in those days of, you know, I I was far from the platform and I would just rock them to sleep. And it started with me learning to not rush that bedtime routine and try to get to just my me time but just to really take that bedtime routine slow so that I was seeing them, not just as these blobs who needed me (laughs) 24-7, but as these people that God fearfully and wonderfully made who have um, ideas and gifts. And our kids are all three just 
I mean, blows my mind, the gifts that, that God has given them. But I started to see it, you know, when I would just spend time with them and not rush. And in those rocking chair moments where I would also just sense God singing over me when I would sing over them. And uh, it kind of just became a nightly routine. I remember uh, Noah would have his request. It was probably when he was about three years old. He would request, I will never forget when he said it for the first time. We were like, what? And he was like, sing minimum in the morning. Sing minimum in the morning. And I finally figured out it was a song that I had sung over them a lot that I learned when I was a kid, when I was a kid. Love him in the morning when you see the sun rising. Love him in the morning when you see the sun rising. Love him in the evening because he took you through the day. And in the in-between time when you feel the pressure coming. Remember that he loves you and he promises to stay. So I realized he was saying, sing, love him in the morning. And that was, so that was Noah's request a lot of the times. And then Eliana, she was just always, she's kind of our shy one. I mean, you are shy. I don't want to like, I'm sorry. Um, but she was often just seemed content just with whatever I came up with. She didn't really have any requests, but knowing her now, she's, she actually has very strong opinions. And she, I was imagining like she had her all request hour, like shoved under the crib mattress, you know, that was really the reality that was going on. But Annie Rose, um, she's our spunky one. Uh, she's, when she was little, we called her our Tigger. She was just the one that bounced everywhere. And Annie's thing was that she, she sucked these two fingers always. These two were always in her mouth. All the pictures we have of when she was like a toddler, it was just her sucking her fingers. But the funny thing was, is that when she wasn't sucking the fingers and she needed to talk to you, she would just hold them out to the side. And so she was just all day like, and one night I was, uh, I put her in her crib. I'll never forget it. She had those fingers in her mouth, just going hard on them. And she was like, sing a song. And I said, well, use your manners, say please, and I'll sing you a song. And she was like, please. <laughs> and so I started singing over her this song that we had written in that time. It was a worship song. You know, it was like, okay, this is a moment. You know, I'm going to sing this song over her. So I start singing this song, a mighty fortress is our God, a sacred refuge is your name. And I'm just like declaring it over her crib, you know, over her life, over her heart. And she was taking those fingers out. It was like she was taking a little smoke break in her crib. She was like, can you sing all the single ladies? <laughs> that truly happened. Um, kids, they will uh, keep you humble. They will knock off your edges like nothing else will. But so much of motherhood is like catch and release, right? It's like catching these little moments. And it's like, oh, there it went. <laughs> we actually got to go fly fishing. We have some pictures for y'all. We did some catch and release fishing with your pastors yesterday who are the best men. And it was so much fun. Uh, the kids, even though it was a snowy day, as many of you know, we did not care. In fact, I think we could have stayed out there even longer. But I think about, you know, so much of life, but so much of motherhood is catch and release. It's catching the moments, but releasing the moments all at the same time. It's pulling our people close, yet letting them go all at the same time. They don't belong to us as much as we want to hold them close and keep them with us forever. Our job is to hopefully have a transfer of trust and dependence from us onto God. 
So it's about seizing and catching these moments and the hearts of the people entrusted to us. But much like uh, catching a rainbow trout in the river, as we found, (laughs) it takes a lot of skill and intentionality and planning ahead. Actually, your pastors um, looked at the weather for days. They scouted out the spot. They were so gracious and patient with us. It was precious. But you got to know what works. You have to see your kids and and you live from your place of beloved so that you're able to release them in a way into his arms. Um, and like fly fishing, it's not an aggressive, hasty pursuit. It's an in it for the long haul. It's a patient in it for the long haul pursuit. And there's joy in the catch. I love, you know, Pastor Brian, I would know when one of the kids caught a fish or Nathan caught a fish because we were kind of in two different, three different areas. I would know because of his boisterous laugh. It was like, oh, one of the kids caught a fish because he was just, there was so much joy in the catch. It was so much fun. And we would all just like yell and scream and get that fish into the net and take the picture. And it was so much fun. But there's also joy in the release as hard as it is. And we're finding that with this one because he's already moved out of the house. He lives with four other guys down by the Nashville airport about 40 minutes from us. And, but there's joy in us releasing him, trusting God with his life, trusting God with the journey that he's on and having those moments where we are faithful. Like this weekend was a catch and release for us. It was a moment to catch the, the three of them, the five of us being around the table and then just go, okay, God, I release it again. Some of us today might need to release failures. Maybe you're an empty nester. Maybe you look back on motherhood and you feel like I just blew it. Well, God is not bound by time and space and he can restore. Maybe you just blew it this morning on the way to church like I have many times. <laughs> Just release it to the Lord. You're human. We're going to make mistakes. Just release it. There's two parts of confession. I love it. Confessing God. I ask your forgiveness. Lord, I'm sorry. I did this. Or I thought I could do this without you. Or I'm doing this without you. God, forgive me. And then that confession of God, you alone can do this through me. And sometimes we need to do that with our kids. Like, I can't tell you, I did that in the airport on the way here. I was like, she, I, was, I was with Ellie and I was like, just saying, I'm sorry I did this when you were little, da, 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 da. She's like, I don't remember that. I'm like, I know, but I just need to say it. <laughs> so we need to confess, like, I'm sorry. I've been trying to do this on my own and I confess that only God can do this through me. And some of us need to release our successes, the successes of our children even. And just confessing that we were chosen by God. He didn't, we, he, we, we didn't choose him, he chose us. That's John 15. He says, I chose you to bear fruit. And so even our successes, it's not about things unfolding exactly the way that we want them to. It's about bearing fruit and fruit that will last. Fruit with longevity, right? The song is called All That Is To Come. And if there was a... a a lullaby on the album that I wrote really just specifically for my, my own heart to be able to sing in the night. It would be this one. And the bridge of the song is kind of peculiar. It says, no matter what may come, make my heart like a honeycomb, storing up the sweetest home for you, Jesus, in me. 
so that I love you more than anything. And I think about this process of leading ourselves well, this invitation, even through the circumstances of this hour we're living in. It's all to draw us to the heart of God so that Jesus becomes the treasure. One of the things I've learned since I wrote this song was that um, scientists for years have marveled about the honeycomb. And you know that the honeycomb pattern that's inside of a honeycomb is put in crash barriers. It's put in like the bumpers of cars because of its strength and tension. So I love to think that the hearts of the beloved, not only are they like dripping with the sweetness of the word of God, we're dripping and we're filled with the fullness of God, but then we become crash barriers. Isn't that beautiful? Stability in unstable times. Hearts of certainty in uncertain times. The honeycombed heart of the beloved. It's yes, full of the sweetness of who God is, but it's strength. It's a crash barrier for the world around us that we're able to absorb what's going on without being crushed. And that's our hope, Lord. That's what we want. In these days, God, make us people of endurance because we're living from you, not just for you, not for other people, God, but just living from your love.
Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.